Misread is a book podcast where we review books, discuss topics, and provide social commentary on what's happening today. Welcome back to another episode of Misread. My name is Cassie. And I'm Jolene. And we are back for a special episode. Yes, very, very special. A little bit different than what we're used to. Um, we all know what's going on. We've all heard the news with Kanye West being at the, at the White House and the many theories that he brought <laughs> to Trump. Yeah, very vocal. It made me realize that Kanye West doesn't seem to be reading a lot. Which he admits to. It's just not his thing. And so me and Jolene thought about, well, the day he does decide to read books, because everybody can change their minds. Right. We've compiled a list of the books that he should be reading to right. inform his theories with a little bit more, um, I don't know, backup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with actual facts, uh, not alternative facts. We are not in an alternative world. <laughs> <laughs> So let's start off with just, um, what are your thoughts on Kanye West right now? Right now, my thoughts on Kanye West are that I, I try not to think about him often, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but I do think that what's going on with him is something to really take a look at. Mm-hmm. Just because outside of the social implications that his actions and his words are having on you know the community the the youth music listeners people lovers of art um we also had a podcast about mental health so sometimes in my critique I want to be careful just because if these are you know examples of someone with mental health issues then it needs to kind of be taken seriously or or differently differently Mm -hmm. you know um then again i I don't know because in his conversation with Trump um, in the Oval Office, he did say that he actually was misdiagnosed and he just has sleep deprivation. So he now is a self-claimed, I don't know. He says he doesn't have any mental issues. Yeah. That's a touchy subject to be able to judge someone on whether right. they do or they don't. But but just to get back to what you were saying about his influence on the youth, yeah. on the media and on the culture... Um, I was I was asking myself, does he really have an influence on how the political world can change or swift? The, you know what I mean? Like, I agree he has an influence on music, on entertainment. That's 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 yeah. his industry. On fashion, that's what he does. But on a political scale, can Kanye West change things? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no. I would say that I do believe it's possible. Look at Kim Kardashian. Right. You know, she recently went in and, you know, she was able to release someone who was incarcerated for years and years and years. So they do have a pretty big influence. And outside of just, you know, their influence, a lot of these political leaders want to align with these people because they're so close to a community that they naturally can't reach. Do you think Trump is using Kim and Kanye as pawns? Absolutely. Trump doesn't do anything that's not self-absorbed absolutely there's a demographic of people that he cannot reach Mm -hmm. and kanye west and kim kardashian tend to stand in the you know the framework of that community and those people the millennials and you know the urban 
the mm-hmm. urban youth and all that kind of stuff. And you only really know what's going on a lot of times. A lot of youth, I feel like, only really know what's going on a lot of times with Trump because of Kanye West and his outlandish behavior. Okay. So mm-hmm. I do think that there is an influence politically and there's an agenda yeah. for sure. Um, but at the same time, I do think that a lot of fans of his music are still, you know, have a lot of autonomy and have their own mindset. And a lot of people will say straight up, like, you know, he makes a great album, but this is foolishness that he's he's been going on with. And some people might have different views. So I wouldn't say the influence on the culture would sway anyone to believe necessarily the things that he's saying. Okay. But I do think that he's he's in the position that he's in right now to speak about the things he wants to speak about for a reason. And also I find that the youth today is way more involved in politics than they used to. Because of, Do you think that's because of celebrities though? And their attachment? I think it's because of social media. Oh, okay. You know what happened in Florida when uh, I, I, I don't know his name, but uh, when the young man went into a school in Florida and he, it was basically another act of terrorism. Yeah. There are people from that school who, they, they had a day, they had a march, and they really were able to mobilize youth across the country. I think you're right. To yeah. talk about gun violence and what are we going to do about it 100 percent, you're right and so that. and even there are a lot of publication even in fashion like teen vogue the way that they that the, the way that they switch their content to make teen girls way more aware of what's going on and why voting is important and why selecting mm-hmm. the right official for you is important and how it's going to affect your day-to-day life right They're, they talk about it more and more and so i agree with you that the power of celebrity definitely plays into yeah. it and especially Kanye West Kanye West has a huge fan base so for sure people listen to what he's saying I'm just for me I'm just wondering they're listening but they're are, go- are they going to act on it you know are they is it gonna push them to make a call to action regarding that I don't know and well I, I guess we'll know it the next election <laughs> what if the call to action that it does push people to do though is in the reverse of his agenda which inherently ends up being better I hope so. That could be... That would be dope. That would be awesome. Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't say dope because I'm I'm like Kanye. I'm trying not to use <laughs> negative words anymore. <laughs> dope is in my vocabulary on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> you know? Um, I got the transcript from uh, his conversation at the Oval Office. Mm. It's actually way better to... Read than see. Yes. (laughs) I I watched it. I was like, oh, Lord. Because, you know, Kanye West tends to go on tangents and you can just lose the train of thought that he's trying to convey. And I found when I was reading that, I was like, oh, okay, that's where he went left. Or I found some points where I was like, he actually has a point. Well, let's start by bringing up maybe some of the key points that he he brought up. I'm at the Oval Office. Okay. I know one thing I found interesting, and Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you have it highlighted there, was, you know, him talking about masculinity Mm -hmm. and growing up and the influence that he had all around women and and his father, I guess, not being as involved. And he kind of felt like once he put the hat on the and the hat being make America great again. He felt like Superman and, you know, there was this masculine energy that Trump's campaign drew him to opposed to Hillary's. Mm -hmm. So that was... What did you think of that? I think that was very telling of exactly what he's thinking. I don't think he knows how much he said about himself in that sentence. 
there's a lot there's a lot that he needs to really deal with i think um if your political stance has to and then of course this I, i might have a bias because you know i'm a woman um but if your political stance is solely based on masculine versus feminine energy i think that does say a lot about you and how you view masculinity um the experiences that you have with men the fact that he even said himself he's even in a family he married into a family where it's all women so it's almost like he's looking for something on that point of masculine and feminine energy the first book i would recommend to Kanye West is called Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde lover you yeah, yeah. you took feminist yeah. classes and women's studies when yeah. you were in university so you know about her and that book is a collection of many of her essays and interviews that she's done over the years and she talks a lot about who women are our capacities what we are able to do if we don't have roads blocking us a female president will do just as much as a man president right. has done in the past there are many countries in the world that have had female presidents look at germany they're yeah. doing very well and the woman is at the helm of that country yeah. So if really the reason why he voted for Trump was mainly off of a female negative energy um I think Kanye needs to Kanye needs to know that he is half male energy and half female energy himself as we as all humans are I don't think men like that A fact is a fact though Yeah it is I think that's a hard pill to swallow I think if we have male listeners it might be a hard for them to swallow. That's real what you said. But I think that's really hard for them to swallow. And maybe that's why he couldn't see himself yeah. into the in the campaign of Hillary. But why why is it that it's such a hard pill to swallow? I think masculinity itself is is something that's so undefined. Like what does right. it really mean to be masculine? And everybody, not everybody, men, um they try and look for masculinity in their own ways. It's a part of manhood mm-hmm. is how you define your own masculinity. and from my experience and my observation i've i know very few men that have found their masculinity in embracing femininity it doesn't happen often in my opinion the only way to really understand your masculinity is to embrace exactly your feminine 100% side as well. women has we have a, a masculine side to mm-hmm. us as well you can be the girliest girl you can still have masculine energy yeah masculine energy is not just like it's not being brutal it's not being in your face it's about being a leader it's about being about having a p- competitive stride it's but then to play devil's advocate all the qualities that we would attribute to masculinity could they not just also be feminine qualities as well so like strength how mm-hmm. do we determine whether or not that's feminine or masculine energy or drive or It's it's interesting you say that cuz now another book popped into my mind <laughs> which is um women running with the wolves. Okay. Have you heard about that one? I haven't. It came out in the 90s. It talks about what is feminine energy, what is masculine energy? Mm. Why do two come together, work together? Why we must embrace embrace both sides to live our lives to the, the fullest, fullest and live our full potential to the fullest. Right. Um but it's it's interesting that it it's fun what you said that about yeah. how some men maybe not you know it might not sit too well with them and yeah cuz like something like sensitivity is that like if we were to come up with a list of characteristics yeah and we had to slap masculine versus feminine on them what is what what does that even really mean 
like what is sensitivity? Is that feminine or can that be masculine? Or is it just, is it just an existence of itself? You kind of file things away in your mental cabinet. Yeah. And uh, I think sometimes we have to really think about the things that we file away. Sometimes it's just subconscious. You just do it. But if you really unpack things and you really start to look at it, like, why do I view this as this? Mm -hmm. Why do I view that as that? And, And more than just why do I do that? But where does that come from? You know, I think. I think it makes for a good a good conversation to have with your peers. And one more book in regards to the whole looking at Trump as a father figure. And I don't even think his own kids look up to him as a father figure. Well, exactly to that point, there's a book by Tanahisi called it's called Between the World and Me. He was actually inspired by James Baldwin, but basically it's a letter that he wrote to his son to answer some questions about his existence in the world his existence in the world in the United States and his place in all this and how to navigate because of all the hurdles that are going to come his way as as a fact you know and how to how to take them on so the father-son correlation made me think about this book and I think it would serve uh, him well to read about that because I think also the problem with Kanye we're gonna get into it about whole capitalism oh, yeah. I think it's a little bit disconnected from the rest of the masses he's part of the one percent you know and as part of the one percent which is the elite of any society you don't face the same problem or troubles with life as the rest of the population does and sometimes I think that's where the disconnect comes in. Yeah. You mean in terms of him feeling like he's speaking on behalf of a community when really I he, mean, you're when saying he he's says, not really on that, he's not really coming down to when he said When he said, somebody asked him, you have said of President Bush that he doesn't care about black people. And you've heard some people say that about this president. How do you respond to that? What do you make of that? And he responded... I think we need to care about all people. And I believe that when I went on NBC, I was very emotional and I was programmed to think from a victimized mentality of a welfare mentality. So basically, parts of what he's saying is that black people play the victim. 100%. I can totally understand why he's saying that from his castle. Yeah. From down there where most people live. Nobody's playing the victim here. It's a reality. It's a reality. And a book that actually goes into the the vicious cycle of welfare is a book by Sister Soldier. No disrespect. You know yeah, Sister Soldier? I do. I read that book. And um, there's a chapter in there where she talks about... Because she, she was working with the community a lot. And she talked about the, the catch-22 that comes with being on welfare. Yeah. You know, when you are on welfare and you have like maybe two, three, four kids to take care of. They provide, they give you money to provide for each right. of these kids. They give you insurance. So if you decide, I don't want to be on welfare anymore. I want to get a regular job. And let's say you don't have the, 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 the academic qualification for a right. job that pays, let's say, $50,000. So you have to get, I don't know, a job at the restaurant as a waitress. When you get a job as a waitress, very rarely does it come with insurance for you yeah. or your kids. So if your kids get sick, Who's, how are you going to take care of that? That's going to come out of your pocket. And most likely, they will get sick. They are kids. Yeah. And then, will your salary, that's minimum wage, cover two, three, four mouths to feed? 
So you try to get out of welfare, but then you get into that reality and you can't, you can't eat the way yeah. that you used to. So you, you go back to welfare and now people are, are you know, pointing fingers, saying things like the victim mentality, mentality, so on and so forth. But it's so much deeper than that. And Sister Soldier in that book, she really goes in and you really understand. And to even add on to that, I know um, when I was in school in university years ago, you couldn't be on welfare and get uh, financial aid for university or college. So that mm -hmm. would put a lot of people in that catch-22 that you're speaking of because it's like, so do I stay on welfare and, you know, not, you know, better my mind, so to speak? Right. Or do I, you know, want to break this cycle? But if I get assistance for school, how am I supposed to, like, keep my lights on? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. And then you start to worry because sometimes... Uh, OSAP for for our Canadian listeners. That's Ontario. Well, that's the one that we have here in Ontario. Mm -hmm. In Montreal, do you guys have something different? Yeah, for it? it's a different name. Oh, it's a different name. Okay. But we do we do get right. So the idea overall is um, financial assistance. Sometimes they'll actually bump up the amount of money that they'll give you uh, in order to sustain. Like if you have dependents, so right. in order to sustain you while you're in school, say for that semester or that year. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of people are are worried about that because that's debt. It's not right. always grants. That's now debt that they have to worry about when they're out of school. So you're right. It, it is a catch-22. And there's a lot of intricate moving parts that to for him to say something, such a blanket statement, as if he's almost trying to say, I wasn't enlightened then, mm -hmm. but I'm enlightened now. It's insulting. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to say, I think with Blacks and African Americans, we really get caught up in the idea of racism over the idea of industry. You see, if people don't have land, they settle for brands. We want a polo sporting Obama again. We want a brand more than we want land because we haven't known how it feels to actually have our own land and have ownership of our own blocks. The only thing I will agree with on this point is we do, you, you do see it. Um, I was reading stats today, and I'm pretty sure you know the stats that women, black women, spend more than any other category of women and men combined on beauty products. Okay. So I think the number is in, like, in the trillions, the amount of money the beauty industry gets off of our money. Yeah. And yet a lot of them that do spend so much money on it may have struggles somewhere else that needs tending to. I, I talk about this with a friend of mine and I always talk about, it's about priority. Everybody has money. No matter how little money you have, it's about priority. That's, so if you want a fact. fresh, fresh weave and a nice <laughs> wig, you're going to get your fresh weave and your nice Girl, wig. why are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> you know, you're going to eat Raymond noodles for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But if that's your priority, that's okay. So in that sense, I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, he's talking shit. There, he does have a little bit of point. We do take a lot of pride in the material things, unfortunately. Yeah. And when he said, when we don't own land, we own brands, I was like, ouch. It's not too far from the truth. Yeah. I would add to that. I would love to say, though, that... And this brings me to the book that I would suggest for him. Yeah. What a lot of... Oh, Kanye. So with that point and a point that he's made before about slavery being a choice, right? I think what Kanye doesn't realize is the nation that America is today could not have been the nation that it is today if it wasn't for slavery. So 
capitalism was built on the backs of black slaves. Mm -hmm. So the wealth and the land and all that stuff that he's he's talking about was built on the backs of black slaves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he's not privy to knowing the impact that history even has today in terms of how systems have now been built, how corporations have now been built. And for that reason, I would suggest to him the book, uh, The Half Has Never Been Told by Edward Baptiste. And it talks about um, capitalism and the fact that America has become this powerhouse and it's off of the labor of, of black people. It's off of the, the culture of black people. And the good thing, the, the, the thing I really like about this book that I really feel like he should read is that we're going back. We're going back. We're going to slavery. We're going back to that place that you love to ignore. Oh, that's not relevant. I hate people. Oh, that's not relevant today. That happened so long ago. No, mm -hmm. you need to go back and understand your past, understand your history in order to understand what's happening today. Right. And I never understand when people say that because a foundation of anything is really where the brunt of it lies. Yeah. You have to know what, like, even when it comes to building a house, building anything, what, what's the foundation? What is that like? Mm -hmm. If you don't know what that's like, you don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the infrastructure. And that's literally the society that we live in, whether we're talking about politics, whether we're talking about economy, anything. Everything in today's society now, especially within North America, comes from a history. The history has created the foundation. And on that foundation is all the systems that we have built. So what is that foundation? Let's let's figure that out. And yeah. that's why I feel like he should he should read that book. And that's why they see that the racism is systemic. 100%. Because it's, it's built in. It doesn't have to be obvious. Yeah. It's built in. Was there oh. more that you wanted to add? Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on um, him saying that he wants to free Larry Hoover? <laughs> and this is my this is my gripe that I have. Like I love that the point that you said you could agree with him, you know what you know on that that point about blacks owning um, brands not land. I like that because I understand I understand and I agree, I agree to an extent too. But when it came to when it came to social media and how they reacted to his interview, for some reason the one part that a lot of you know commentary came from in terms of they can agree with him was freeing Larry Hoover and I'm gonna be frank it was a lot of black more the you know black urban blogs where you would see people Kanye West is crazy but at least he's saying you know free Larry Hoover oh <laughs> YouTube videos oh you guys you don't realize that Kanye is a genius for at least saying that and like it was almost like everything else he did was given a pardon or a bly mm -hmm. by a select group of black people or millennial, young millennials, I think it's a more of an ignorant um, place to be, mm -hmm. saying, oh, well, at least he's saying free Larry Hoover. But it's funny that the millennials were backing this up because Larry Hoover is, like, past <sighs> our generation. Like, people who were... When you when people say Larry Hoover, I only hear Rick Ross. That's <laughs> it. That's all I hear. That's <laughs> it. That's why the millennials, though, are, are, okay. are, are influenced by this or think that they, they even have a clue as to what they're talking about when they mention anything regarding that. Right. Because they heard it in a rap song and it's cool. Okay, so in regards to Larry Hoover, his rationale for that is that he turned his life around and he was doing 
something good for the community and the power that be were not happy about it so they gave him six life sentences so to be honest out of all this that's the one thing i didn't look into see somebody once said to me that um disrespect has no expiry date so you can change your life and you can do all the right things karma is karma i feel that i don't understand this mentality of you know freeing free this person and free that person and then when you actually look into it because you're thinking okay well yeah maybe this person was innocent and they were and then when you actually look into it this person was a criminal right why why are you rocking a t-shirt saying free this this friend of yours or whoever it is when they murdered somebody yeah. or they raped somebody like and the black community has a very bad rap of doing that everybody that's in jail let's free them why especially the rap community for sure for sure yeah i let's let's make that let me make that correction um and i i just don't understand that and i felt like that was so ignorant mm -hmm. that with his interview at the oval office so much of the spotlight in terms of any positivity that anyone felt came from that interview was about freeing Larry Hoover. It's so simplistic to think that way, I, I feel. And I don't mean to come across condescending, but I think it's just so upsetting almost. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Right. Like, why should we free him? Like, for me personally, if he was starting to do you know, good in the community. I know he has a foundation and, you know, there's a lot going on. Even from prison, he runs them. Yes, congratulations. Hand clap for you. God will do what he needs to do in, in your afterlife. Unfortunately, here on earth, when you kill people yeah. and you are involved in organized crime, you go to jail for that stuff. And let's not kid ourselves. Like, we all know that when a drug lord takes over a neighborhood, as much as he provides the drugs, as much as he gives back to the community that's why the community often don't want him to leave 100 a lot of them you know the um, the movie with denzel washington something black american i think i know what you're talking about so he's a he's a drug lord he's a he's a kingpin like but as much as he has guys dealing on every corner of the street when it's thanksgiving he's the one giving out turkeys to everyone of course he's paying someone's college tuition he's paying your bills he's paying your grocery your grocery food at the store so that's how he kept the community in a way that they didn't snitch on him mm -hmm. and they didn't want to rat him out because of that so if i'm gonna follow in the same sentiment that you have now it's part of the game to give back 100 and dictators do it all the time that's why when you know power countries go into other countries and kill dictators or take dictators, the people in that place, they actually suffer because they're the people, you know, the, the kingpins and the drug lords are the ones with the money that are building the infrastructure. So I, I, under, I understand that. But you today, sitting in your living room on Instagram, why free Larry Hoover? <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. Because he is him in an alternate reality. <laughs> right, right. So he said. <laughs> Um, another thing that I hated that he said was when they talked about police brutality, he said, we also, as black people, have to take a responsibility for what we're doing. We killed each other more than police police officers. Why would you bring that up? You know I can't I have hate, these conversations. I, I hate it. When he, <laughs> when he said that, whoo. 
Okay. I hate when black people say things like that. So here's a book for him, okay? Yeah. It's called So You Want to Talk About Race. And the author is Ijeoma Oluwo. And I'm going to read an excerpt from her book that pertains exactly, specifically to that ignorant thing he said, which is, we don't call crime that happens in white communities white-on-white -white crime. I was just about to say that. Even though the majority of crimes against white people are perpetrated by 100%. other white people, crime is a problem within communities. Yep. And communities with higher poverty, fewer jobs, and less infrastructures are going to have higher crime regardless of race. When the average black American has one-thirteenth the net worth and the average Hispanic American has one-tenth the net worth of the average white American, and when the poverty rate among Native Americans is over three times that of whites, it is a strong bet that neighborhoods of colors are more likely to be poor neighborhoods with higher crime and that higher priced neighborhoods with easier access to jobs and more funding for education that lead to less crime would be more likely to be populated by comparatively wealthier white people. End quote. And I and I agree with that. And that's where that's where I was gonna go. There's no such thing as black on black crime. That's a projection. There's there's such thing as crime. And ninety percent of crimes and I say 90 loosely, I'm not looking at a fact, you guys. But a lot of crimes happen within groups. Mm -hmm. A lot of times your attacker is someone that you actually know personally. And people naturally know people in their community that look like them. Exactly. Uh, you know, on the, So this whole I ideology of black on black crime, I think the purpose of it is to transfer the blame. And that's something that we see in society, you know, it happens a lot to marginalized communities, mm -hmm. all marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. You did it to yourself. Yeah. How many times do we hear that? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not just about the black community. You, you hear it all the time with women. Mm -hmm. You hear it all the time with, you know, LGBT. You hear it all the time where communities, things that dominant culture is influencing or, is, you know, is... I guess you can say impacting us in negative ways, yeah. the blame gets turned on us. Well, we, well, you guys do it to each other. Well, you got. It's just a method to deflect the situation. 100%. So people need to stop that narrative. There's no such thing as black on black crime. There's, it doesn't exist. There's crime that happens that happen within groups. Mm -hmm. Crime. It's just crime. Yeah. And then you, you hear, you see how it, how it gets embedded in people's mentality because you'll hear a lot of. Uh, black people say things like when there's a killing for instance how come black lives matter isn't doing anything for this if all black lives matter do this. and it's like you don't understand what the cause is yes you don't understand what the cause is you really don't well, you, so. you, you understand what the cause is you choose yeah. yeah you choose not to you just don't want to be combative yeah yeah, you choose to deflect. Yeah, you're right. You choose to to act like you don't you don't get you, you perfectly understand. But it was very disappointing to hear him say that, especially with people. I feel like people sometimes think he's the Messiah of Chicago. I think he thinks he's the Messiah of Chicago. <laughs> he's not. He's not. And you know, in 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 regards to him saying, "I don't read books," he said, "I read books. I'd rather go to the people and get their perspective." Yeah. Well, I'm not sure who he's talking to in Chicago. I'm not sure either. And for him to say that he finds authors self-absorbed, I was like, your level of self-awareness is at a zero. <laughs> <laughs> is at a zero. Oh, yeah. So um, 
if I can leave on one with one book, it's the book by Webb Dubois, which is called The Souls of Black Folks. And the book talks about um, the double consciousness of black people. And the theory behind it is that living in a society that has historically devalued black Americans for so long, it has become difficult for black Americans to unify their black identity with their American identity. So double consciousness forces black people to view themselves not only from their own unique perspective, but to also view themselves as they might be perceived by the outside world. Some of them, some people may call this the white gaze. And what it does is that it internalizes an anti-black sentiment that shapes the black experience. 100%. And I think if Kanye West does not suffer from a mental illness, I think he suffers from the double consciousness. And I think he sees himself through the white gaze. I don't want nobody telling me I don't know him on a personal level. His actions and the words that he speaks, the message he's conveying shows just that. Yeah. And I think with the double consciousness, um, I think there's conscious and subconscious. I think colored people in general, it's embedded in some in some ways, in really simplistic ways. So yeah. an example would be black man in an elevator, white woman gets into the elevator, he makes himself naturally smaller because he doesn't want to come across as threatening. Mm-hmm. We see things like that. Um, I've been in spaces where, you know, any, any gaze of the dominant culture, you know, where you just see someone make themselves smaller or they just want to make themselves more comfortable in a setting because of their consciousness of the white gaze. Mm-hmm. So I think we practice that I quite think, often. I think most of us do. Yeah. I, you, I can even say that I think it's a survival tactic. Mm. However, I draw the line as, at internalizing anti-black sentiment. sentiments. In regards to, I yes. Think anyone that comes from, if you're first-generation immigrant, if you if you are from a marginalized community, you will automatically have a double consciousness. For sure. That's fine. I think his is more... It's just for It's him. a conscious effort to want to be accepted and pleased. You know, I'm sorry, and please yeah. this... So you say it's hatred in himself? My, my point for him is he is controlled by the white gaze. Yeah. I have double consciousness, but I'm not controlled by the white gaze. Right. I'm not someone that's not going to speak my mind because I'm afraid somebody's going to call me the angry black woman. I'm going to speak my mind. I'm not someone that's going to refrain from wearing a weave, an afro, or colored box braids because I don't want people to call me ghetto. I don't care what your opinion is. I'm going to do me. Right. You will accept it. I truly don't care. You know, so I'm not controlled by that. I I know you're going to think about it. Like I said, it's a survival tactic. So there are moves, there are chess moves that we're going to do based on how we know that the outside world is going to perceive us. But I will never let that control who I am. Right. And you feel like... And I feel like that's what happened with Kanye. That's what's happening with him. I think that, like you said, survival, you know, that's where that subconscious, you know, part of it kicks in. And then I think you have people that have a conscious effort in making sure that, you know, the white gaze is right there in the forefront of their mind and making sure that they operate in a way that's pleasing to that. Yeah. So.
So that's our reading list to you, Kanye West. You need to pick up a book, buddy. <laughs> listen to our podcast at least, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Listen to our podcast. <laughs> so that's it for today. Until next time, guys. Ciao. Ciao.